that you guys are here uh, as we uh, start off our, our sermon series again here, Empowered Prayer Part 3. Before we get started, I have something wanted. There was last week a McDonald's cup here um, that was located right about in this area. I thought it was something to throw out, but there was actually M&Ms and it had a Boston emblem on it. So this is what I need you to do. If you find it, throw away the cup and keep the M&Ms. Make sure they come back to me. They were for me. They were for me. I was told this morning, I'm just like, oh, shucks, I gave up those M&Ms. I shouldn't have gave them up. I just love m and How many of you guys like M&Ms? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of us, we, we show it. We love them. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, hey, you know, that's it. But anyway... We're talking about empowered prayer. Last or two weeks ago, we talked about the passion of prayer. We talked about how important it was for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in an impossible situation, and he um, he wanted to go back to Jerusalem. God placed on his heart a passion to go back to build the wall, and he had an impossible task. He had to he had to enter into the presence of the king for a request to go back. And we talked about how being a cupbearer was a position for life. But yet he returned. And he did, but he trusted God in prayer and he had a passion to do it. And we talked about that and how important that was. Secondly, last week we talked about the importance of priority and prioritizing our prayers. Making sure um, that what we do is we settle in saying God should be our priority. We talk about God's priorities, Christ's priorities, and our priorities, and the importance of the dedication that we must have with God. Well, this week we're going to be talking about finding God through the wrestling. We're going to look at the life of Jacob, and it's specifically in Genesis chapter 32. So what I wanted to do was take a moment and just share with you um, a person um, by the name of Dan Gable. His name was Danny Mac Gable, born on October 25th, 1948. Is a retired um, Olympic um, wrestler and head coach. He's best known for his tenure as coach. And he, um, at the University of Iowa, when he won 15 NCAA team titles between 1976 in 1997. He's also famous for having only lost one match in his entire Iowa State University collegiate career. His last and winning gold, a gold medal in 1972 Olympic Games in Germany. While not giving up a single point, October 25th, 2013 was recognized as Dan Gable Day in Iowa. This man was known to be one of their sons, and having to have such a great career in the college and also winning a gold medal, um, what was so amazing what he did in the Olympic Games was that he won his game with an injured left knee and seven stitches on his head. The man had guts. Well, here's one of his sayings um, that it says, gold medals aren't really made of gold. They're made of sweat, determination, and hard-to-find alloy called guts. And see, what we want to talk about today is about the importance of finding God's blessing. See, with Jacob, he was seeking God's blessing. He had to wrestle for God's blessing. And sometimes in our lives... God's blessing doesn't come easy. 
In fact, I think it's the opposite. It's very difficult to find God's blessing, but it depends where we're looking for. So the question then comes this, should we, we strive for God's blessing? Well, in Hosea 12, 3 through 5, it states, in a womb he attacked his brother. In his manly vigor, he struggled with God. He struggled with an angel and prevailed. He wept and begged for his favor. He found God at Bethel, and there he spoke with him. He's referring to Jacob. As for the Lord Almighty, the Lord is the name by which he is remembered. So Hosea the prophet mentioned later in life, later in the years following, of Jacob and how he struggled with God. The word struggle in the Hebrew means to strive, to contend, to persevere, to persist. We get this idea in many of the English versions of the Bible, striving with God. But see, we would think that, wait a minute now, do I have to strive with God in order to receive his blessing? I mean, think about it. If we're going to wrestle with God, are we really going to win? Are we going to go into into the ring and actually wrestle with God? Many of us would be afraid to do so. We think it's not possible. But if we look at the scriptures, we know that even in the Old Testament, some of the prophets had to do so. Some of the patriarchs, as we know of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then I ask another question. If God desires to bless, which he does, how do we get it? And so as we look back, we understand that some would have to go through that. Now with Jacob, Jacob was known, the name means to be a deceiver, a manipulator. And Jacob in himself, as a manipulator and deceiver, manipulated his father, deceived his father to get the blessing from his brother Esau. Because the birthright was to go to Esau. He was the firstborn. When Isaac was passing on, we know in the book of Genesis, he's, he's offering his blessing to his son, handing it off. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I'm a... I'm a a son of, th I mean, I'm a son of two immigrants, but I am the youngest of three brothers. And in our culture, the firstborn gets all the rights, for the most part, immediately. And so I try to carry some of that culture. So as an old, I have two older brothers, and my oldest was one of them. With my parents passing on, he often thought of himself of receiving more of a blessing because he's the oldest. But I have some um, proof in showing this that when I was young, we had this 8-millimeter camera back in the day. And I was there. I was two years old, maybe not even two, about 18 months old. And there was a picture where it was a moving, moving video where um, next-door grandpa, we called him, and Jenny, they were like grandparents to us next door. They were from Italy. My mom was, they were, we were going up there, and I was walking back, and my mom had some ice cream with the chocolate covered over the vanillas. You can still get them over at Walmart or anywhere else. And, uh, and my, my, my mom was handing it over to my son, and then I started crying, so my mom took it from my son, or my brother, and, took, and gave it to me. And I'm sitting there and all happy, walking away, and just all happy, my brother's sitting there crying. And I look back, and I was like, man, what a spoiled brat I was. But yet, my mom was favoring me because I was the youngest. And here, Rebecca was favoring Jacob to get the blessing. And see, in dysfunctional families, we know that Jacob had a dysfunctional family. He favored his sons. He favored Joseph. And he favored Benjamin. Because the wife and the mother was the one that he truly loved. And he favored, well, he got that from his mom. And it carried from a family pattern of generations. 
And this dysfunctionality that happened was that even though it happened and it was wrong, God still used it to bring forth his blessing to the patriarchs. And it went to Jacob, and the Lord bestowed his grace upon him. And just think about it. Too often we think we're blessed with situations and material things. We think and saying that, oh, okay, well, I got a blessing because I just got this material thing, or I got a blessing because my situation's going well. We think because we have peace, we don't have any problems and no struggles, that God's really blessing us. But is that true? I mean, could God truly bless us in the midst of a trial and a difficulty and a struggle when we're wrestling with life, when we're wrestling with the questions, when we're struggling with where we are in life, when maybe you're a young adult and you're not sure what to do with your life and you're not sure what's next, or maybe you have a young family and job's not going well and you want to give up the job, but you're not telling your wife and you want to quit, but you're hanging in there and you're wrestling. And you see your career and you don't see an an end to it. You don't see yourself going 20, 30 years down the road, and you don't know, and you're wrestling. See, I've been there. I know. I've been challenged with that. I know. But see, see, with, with, jo- with Jacob, he was wrestling. But also he was wrestling with the fact that when he deceived his brother, that he had to understand that there was something that was happening because Esau was ready to kill him. Look at Genesis chapter 27, 41. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the day of mourning of my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, I got to be honest with you. I can understand Esau's frustration. If I were the oldest and the youngest got the blessing and I didn't, I'd be frustrated. But I also understand too that we're not called to hate. And so Esau in one sense was right to have those feelings, but not right to hate his brother. So the last that Jacob heard of Esau was that he wanted to kill him. So he was concerned, so he fled. Now Esau went his way. He fled from God, rebelled against God, took upon wives from the Ishmael descendants. And Jacob was traveling from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he settled one evening and had a dream. Now this is where we take this particular episode here in Genesis 28, 11 through 15. Follow with me if you would. And it says this, that he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun was set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down there in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set on the earth and on top and it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land by which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families in your earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And you will bring back... To this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. See, God is faithful to his promise. God is always faithful to what he is about to do. And he promised Jacob that he would be with him. Even though he was a deceiver and a manipulator and he was fleeing from God, God said, I'm still with you. I want to bless you. That is where Jacob met God and realized the Abrahamic covenant and the fulfillment and the promise that was to give to him and his family and descendants in the future. And see, God was doing that work and and, and captivating him through that dream. 
And it's the beauty of knowing that even though the episode continued, that God used Jacob in such a way that he would flee and escape, but yet he found that God brought him back. And so he was bringing him back through these episodes. He met Laban, which was his uncle. He wanted to marry Rachel, but was deceived. See, the deceived deceived the deceiver and manipulated him. And Jacob was manipulated and deceived to marry Leah. And it was uncustomary to have the younger before the firstborn. So Jacob had to wait another week, and then he had Rachel, the one whom he loved. So he had to serve Laban an additional seven years. But it didn't matter because he found his true love. But now Jacob is being confronted because as we see the episode goes with all the marriage and Laban and and with Leah and with Rachel, now we're confronted here. We're coming upon chapter 32 of Genesis. And we have to understand about blessing and about the hand of God and the beauty of God. And so we want to see that God's still working with this so-called deceiver. And we want to understand, too, that through all of this, God is moving and testing and challenging Jacob. So as we look at this, let's ask this question or make this statement, excuse me, make the statement. God's blessing is found in change life and not in the change situation. See, too often we think blessing comes from a situation change, material blessings, things going well, no problems, always peace, sit back, recliner chair, great TV show, great game, good food, good fellowship, and don't mess with my time. And everything's great. And I'm blessed. Man, I'm so blessed of God. It was an awesome day. No problems, no situations. But once a situation comes, we start to wrestle. Well, Lord, why are you allowing all these things in my life? Why are you allowing this struggle? And see, we have to understand that God is interested more in the changed life than he is in changing a situation. He cares too much about you and I, loves us too much to leave us where we're at. God loves us too much to keep us where we're at. See, Jacob was a deceiver and a manipulator, and God said, I love you too much to keep you where you're at. I can't just leave you there. i got to change you, and you don't even know about it. So Jacob had no idea what God was about to do. But the beauty is that God was resting and saying that I'm going to do it. So in chapter 32, verse 1, let's go through this narrative quickly. It says this, Jacob went on his way, verse 1, and the angels of God met him. Now, let me stop. The scholars believe that this verse 1 correlates and ties into Genesis 28, 11 through 15. They believe that it's a narrative that's being mentioned that there was an episode because God met with Jacob and Jacob saw the blessing of God. He saw the patriarch, he saw Abraham, Isaac, and he too would join that. And then God would say, I will be with you. So here he's coming on this narrative in this role. Now, verse 2, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Manhina. And when we see that, we have to understand. Before we get to verse 6, I need to keep reading these verses. And Jacob sent the messengers before him to Esau's brothers, the land of Seir in the country of Edom. And instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So he's trying to connect and fix this problem between him and his brother. How often do we try to fix our own problems? How often do we try to find favor with God? How often are we trying to fix 
our spouses. I know, you know, I'm going to fix him. And when I fix him, he's going to be the man that I really want him to be. I'm going to get him to pick up his clothes. I'm going to make sure he cleans the dish over at the, put him away in the dishwasher. Make sure he sweeps after all the big mess. If he leaves a mess, he's going to clean it up. I'm going to not just tell the kids, I'm going to tell him. And he's going to change. I want to make sure he puts his clothes away. He doesn't just throw them on the ground. You see where I get my drift? I'm getting all this information from. <laughs> it's because I got to deal with that right now. But see, I'm just working through and trying to navigate because I often say to my wife, Try, stop trying to fix me. But see, the thing is, sometimes what happens is we're trying. Now, hold on. I'm not going to let you off there, ladies, because men, we do the same thing. We try to fix our wives. We try to change people. We try to change our wives. We try to change our friends. And we do that by making these little comments. And we'll just say them. And if you're with your friend, you're with someone at work, and it would be really nice, you know, if we could put the coffee machine here. So if we put the coffee machine, you wouldn't make so much of a mess, and then we can contain the mess. Because every time you're making coffee, it's like it's a big old mess. And, you know, or just the way it's organized. I One day I'm looking here, and the next day it's over here. And I'm like, what's going on here? I need to know it's here. But all these changes... And here, he was trying to fix his situation. And God's saying, don't fix your situation. I'm not interested in that. I want to fix you. I want to change you. I want to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And see, what verses 9 and 10, it says this. And Jacob said, oh, my God, my father, and Abraham, the God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your own country. And to your kindred that I may do good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds, steadfast love, and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. He was afraid. He heard that his brother was sending 400 men. He separates the camps of family. One to one side and one to the other. In case Esau comes and takes them out, he has one to flee. And so now he's afraid, he's scared, he's fearful. He's reminding God of his blessing. <clears throat> he's reminding God of his love. But sometimes what happens is we think God just wants to rescue us out of the situation. So he's setting up camp. He sets up the camps and sets up his own agenda of how to get out of it. He's not even checking with God. And then he goes to God. And sometimes I think what God's saying is God doesn't want to rescue us from the situation, but he wants to rescue us through the situation. And I think that that's what the key is. So as you have your outline, just look at it. God wants to rescue us through the situation and not from it. As we see, this is what's happening. Because in verse 11, you're going to see this. <clears throat> Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. <clears throat> from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me. And the mothers with their children. So he's trying to say, God, get me out of this situation. But God's saying, no, I want to make you go through the situation. Because when you go through the situation, I will restore you and be with you. See, God wants to restore us by being with us. He doesn't want to remove us from the situation. Why? Because when he removes us in the situation, we're not going to see his hand in our lives. We're not going to see the journey where he takes us through. Sometimes we just hope we can get to the destination. And you heard me say this before. And I've had some people ask me, what do you mean by God wants us to go through the journey and not to the destination? Because we'll miss him in the journey. 
We're going to miss him when he's working with us in our attitudes. We're going to miss him when we're working through fear and anxieties and worry. We're going to miss him when we have inadequacies. And he wants to work with us and change us and conform us to the image of Jesus when he wants to challenge us and help us to get to that next level. We'll never know that. We'll never know that. Thank you. We'll never know that. But we have to go through it. See, God wants to restore us by being with us. See, this is why he made that promise in Genesis 28, 15. That's why he told Jacob he was a deceiver and a manipulator. Most people would say, I give up. I'm not going to deal with him anymore. How many are giving up on you in your life? How many are saying, that's it, I had enough of you. I'm done. How many have said, I don't want to hang out with you no more. You've hurt me. You've destroyed me. I'm done. How many of you have gone through relationships where you're so burdened and so hurt and so wounded, you're closing everybody out around you? You're afraid of taking that step to that next person because you're afraid they're going to hurt you like the other person did. How often do you realize that when you, you and I are going through that, we do that with God? When we're afraid that if we wrestle with God or struggle with God, God's going to hurt us. And we're afraid that if we go before God in prayer and wrestle with him, that he's going to expose all of our struggles. And then we're going to say, okay, you got to change me too again. And everybody wants me to change. Hey, how about someone else? Why can't someone else change for once? Why do I got to change? And see, through this, God offers that to Jacob. He says, behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. will bring you back to this land, for I will never leave you until I have done what I promised you to do. I'm going to tell you something right now. I stand here as a man that knows that God has been faithful, even when I have not been faithful. I know I stand knowing that God has got me through times where it would seem impossible. God got me through it because he's true to his word. He's true to his promises. He's true to what he's made true to all of us through Christ. And that's the beauty of knowing that God wants to do that. He wants to restore us for his purpose by being with us, not removing us. Here's the second thing that I believe God wants to bless us with. See, God's blessing is found in his chastening not in our complacency. It's easy to be complacent because we live in a Western American world, a Western society where it says individualistic, please yourself, look for peace, make sure you don't have to do too much, make sure you get all the comfort in the world that you can, keep charging money you don't have, get in debt, it's okay, they won't find out, then you can just claim bankruptcy and you'll be fine. Everything's complacent, it's at peace. Who cares, you can go on to the next debt. And they go on and on and on. They're encouraging you to spend more and you don't have it. See, God chastens us, disciplines us for our sake. You know, when we were younger, we were disciplined. Parent, why do we discipline our children? Teens, you don't want to hear this. But parent, why do we discipline our children? Because we love them. We care for them. We don't want them to go wayward. We don't want them to go off and make the same mistakes we made. And we made plenty of them. But we chasten them because we love them. We care for them. We don't want to punish them. We're not hurting you. We want to help you through it. God is doing that same thing with Jacob. And the beauty is that God is doing a work that only he can. And so we enter into the wrestling match. Here's the main event, the WWE main event. It is God in one corner and Jacob the deceiver, the manipulator in the other corner. Now, who you think is going to win? I don't think we have to even blink because we know who's going to win. But the beauty of this wrestling match is that God is interested in wrestling with us. 
and we have to be willing to wrestle with him in prayer. Look with me to chapter, chapter uh, 32, verse 24, because as we arrive to this place in the narrative, now he knows, he, and Jacob knows, he has to set up for Esau to come. He's trying to set it up, bless him, set up all the gifts and the oxens and all the servants and all that we can give to his brother. And as he sets up the camps, he pulls back and relaxes for a minute. But God said, no, 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 no. He didn't know what was coming. He had no idea what was about to hit him. Because in verse 24, that's what it says. And Jacob was left alone to relax for a minute. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Verse 20, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Well, we know wrestling means to strive, to contend. And see, this is what's happening is God begins the battle because the battle begins in us. See, sometimes God sets up a ring and he has to wrestle with us. And when we go in and we have to wrestle, we're going to have to wrestle because God wants to change us. Because let me tell you something. What's difficult about ministry isn't other people. <laughs> What's difficult about ministry is the person we're looking at in the mirror. See, the, the, the true bout, the true thing that we have to understand is that God is trying to chasten us because he has to save us from ourselves. You know, Rocky Sylvester Stallone, the great theologian, had creed number one where he, he was sitting there in one of the episodes, and he had the son, and he was like, hey, you know, you need to make sure when you box, you just move, you know, try to, you know, jab and not hit the person in the mirror. But I got to tell you something, though. You know, uh, that person in the mirror, uh, that's your greatest opponent right there. I'm like, profound, wow, Rocky, man. Of all the Rockies, that was the most profound statement because he said the opponent in the mirror is not the other opponent. It's you. Here's another wrestler that said the same thing. As you look, and he says this, in wrestling you have many opponents. Dan Gable said it. But the toughest opponent you will face is yourself. That's the most difficult one because the battle always begins in you and I. You ever catch yourself when you're doing something? I'm working on my house and I'm like, oh, dummy, Bruno, why'd you do that? I hear once in a while my son say that, my wife or whatever. Is anybody in the house? Oh, man, dummy. Why? Because the battle's within us. We struggle. We look at ourselves, and we, don't, we just don't like what we see sometimes, and we're frustrated. And we just start name-calling ourselves. We don't name-call anyone else. We just start name-calling ourselves. We're tough on ourselves because the battle's within us, and God knows that. See, God looked at Jacob, and he saw a deceiver and a manipulator, but he saw hope. He saw potential because he said, I'm going to name you one of the three patriarchs. My people will go through your lineage to the Messiah. And he said, I know because I'm faithful, I will carry you through it. No matter how messed up you are, I'll get you. He was in a dysfunctional family, and he created a dysfunctional family. One of the most dysfunctional families in all of the Bible. But yet the beauty of God is that that's what shows God's all. He shows them off. That's what brings the glory of God. When God battles with us, or he, the battle's within us, and he battles with us, he's changing us. And he's moving us, and he's changing us to not fear as much, not worry as much, not struggle with our inadequacies. Most today, teenagers are, are, are committing suicide because they don't like what they see. They don't like what they see. 
and they're challenged with social media. They don't care about themselves. They don't even have parents at home to build them up. They don't have anyone to lift them up. And we as parents, we as adults must take young people and we must take them and come alongside of them, build them up, find ways in which we can instead of pointing out their wrongs. We struggle with that as parents. We struggle with that as adults. We're always blaming, but God's saying, I want to change you before I change anyone else. That's the beauty of God. God also bows. He has bouts with us not to belittle us, but to break us. And that's the chastening. He wants to break us. That's what it says in Genesis 32, 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip sock. You know what the word touched in Hebrew is? He struck him. He injured him. See, God injured Jacob. Why? Because sometimes we think too much of ourselves. Sometimes we don't like ourselves, and sometimes we, don't, we think too much of ourselves. Sometimes we have pride and arrogance and envy and jealousy that sit in us, and God's saying, i got to touch you just a little bit and injure you up so you can see who's God. And God was doing that to slow him down. And Jacob's hip was, point, was put out of joint as he wrestled with him, as he was striving and contending with him. Sometimes God has to do that. He has to break us, but he's not belittling us. Sometimes as a teenager or even as an older adult who's a child whose parents are still alive, sometimes mom or dad will say something that still kind of pushes the button. <laughs> it's like a re-injury. You ever notice that when you're walking? Oh, I do that sometimes. Like my knee or my ankle goes out. I'm like, oh, man, there it goes again. It comes, keeps going out. I got to watch my step. Last night I was so tired from doing the work at house. My wife and I were in our bedroom, and I went, she just started laughing. I said, yeah, it's just called trying to get my balance again. And I'm just sitting there hobbling along. She's laughing at me. And I'm like, gosh, man, it's terrible to get older. But the thing is, is that lo and behold, God is beating down on us, not because he doesn't love us, but he has to re-injure us to get our attention. He loves us enough to point out our faults. And that's what we have to see, that God's into that chastening. And lastly, God's blessing is found in cultivating a relationship with him. We have to understand that is key with all of that. God is interested in cultivating a relationship. See, change is difficult. People are set in their ways. Most avoid change like the plague. Common phrase often mentioned by most people is, what did I do wrong? I don't need to give in. I don't need to change. The other people do. But God is always interested in changing us. He's always interested in moving in us. See, God, I think, honestly, just like with Jacob, <coughs> Jacob, God was changing something in him. Look with me to verse 26 of chapter 32. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. To his credit, he did not want to let go. He continued to pray, continued to contend with God. He continued to strive. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you wrestled with God? When was the last time you wrestled with God that someone would come to faith with Jesus? When was the last time you wrestled with God to see someone in your workplace come to know Christ? When was the last time you wrestled with God to see someone in your family come back and return 
to, if he was a prodigal son, he can return. When was the last time you were crying out to God that God would change you so that you could be used of him to reach the world for the kingdom of God? When was the last time you prayed for your marriage that God would change your spouse but change you? That God would change you to reach your spouse, that you would serve your spouse rather than running to be served? See, when was the last time you really wrestled with God? I want you to know those are the times when we really learn about God. See, God, to Jacob's credit, he was wrestling with God and would not let go. He even said, he goes, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. That's the beauty of God. Then Jacob asked him, tell me what your name is. And he said, why is it that you asked me my name? And there he blessed him, meaning he knew he was God. He knew he was a theophany. He knew this man was, I would believe, in a Christophany. And the beauty of the presence of Christ, even in the Old Testament, of showing forth that God wanted to meet Jacob where he was at. And even in verse 3, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Moses couldn't see him face to face in Shekinah glory on the mountain. But yet God called him to go face and face with Numbers 12. No one could see the face of God and live. In fact, you and I, when we, we will see the fullness thereof, the face of God, at the time of glorification, the Bible says. But right now we have the already, not yet, but we have enough. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. See, God wants to change our character. He wants a changed character. That's why he's cultivating a relationship with us. He wants a changed character. Secondly, what he wants more than anything else is he wants to change, he wants to change our lives. God wants to change our lives. He wants to take us from Jacob to Israel. He wants to take us from a sinner to a saint. He wants us to walk in him. See, Jacob, who was that deceiver and that manipulator, is now being considered Israel. And Israel is a nation of God's people. And Israel represented a covenant people. And Jacob fought with God because he wanted his blessing, and he wanted to prevail. And God is doing the same thing he did with Jacob, he's doing with his people today. This is a representation that God wants to contend with us as we contend with him. And God wants to change us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants to change our lives so that he gets all the glory. God wants us to wrestle, but we got to wrestle. We can't just settle for less than the best. We want his blessing. We want to wrestle. We want to ask God for the very best. Let me tell you something. I didn't come down here from Pennsylvania. My wife didn't come down here from Pennsylvania, uproot our family, to come here and just expect nothing but, the, but less, but God's best. We want to believe for God's blessing on this church to move forward, to reach the world for the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you right now, God wants to contend with us as we contend with him. We as a people of God must wrestle with him and say, God, change me so I can be ready to change someone else. I know there are people in my family that I say, God, you got to change me before you change them. Because God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need you to change my heart and my attitude toward my family members. And I have to wrestle with God, and I need to start wrestling with God for my family members. And I need to cry out to God, because I know when he changes my life, I want to be an instrument to to be a part of changing others. Lastly here, we have to see this. A changed perspective. See, his perspective was changed, the face of God. 
It's the beauty of God and the face of God that he saw. It was changed. He no longer saw himself as a deceiver. He saw himself as Israel, a chosen by God, part of the patriarch, to be used of him, to carry on and preserve the nation. You know what happened was Jacob then had the 12 children, and Joseph was one that was used of God, second in command in Egypt, who then preserved his people to go to Egypt, and then from Egypt, they went back to the promised land. See the beauty of God? He will do at no end. To, nothing will stop him from preserving his fulfillment, his promise that he'll be with you. He'll carry you through. So when you and I are going through a struggle, when we're wrestling, we're contending, when we're striving, God's saying, I am faithful to my word. I made a promise. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to get you through. I don't care what you've been through. I'm going to get you through it. But you've got to surrender. See, and surrender is wrestling. That's where we find God in the wrestling. And I want to tell you, that's the beauty of God, because he desires to have, for us to have intimacy with him. Michelle Averick, who is the, um, uh, one, of our, one of our members here at the church and also leads the first service in music, um, had, we had a moment to get a chance to get to know her, and we asked her some questions. But she had a changed perspective in her life, and she went through a really tough time, and we just want to show that video to you. My name is Michelle Afric. I pray because God asked me to, and I trust him enough that he will change things if I pray. Not necessarily circumstances, but he'll change me, or he might change me if I'm praying for you, or he might change you if you're praying for me, or he might change a circumstance. I feel like prayer does change things, and so I pray. So a lot of times, my prayers will simply start with the confession of where I'm at. And I might say something like, I'm really doubting, Lord, today. I know you already know that, so I might as well tell you, here are my faith questions that I'm having trouble with. Or I might say, I'm really mad at my spouse, and here's why, and I know I need to take ownership of that, but I'm just going to let that be before you. I pray because I'm a mess. And I can't figure out life on my own, even though I try really hard. And so I have to bring that mess before the Lord so he can say, take ownership of this and go apologize. Or you're being prideful here. Or let go of this here. I have this. Or here's how you can pray for this child that's worrying you. Let me show you how. When thinking about how expectant I am to see answers to my prayers, I have to say that I consider myself very weak in faith. And I'm not kidding. When I say I'm a mess, I am a mess. But I walked through cancer about 19 years ago. It was a stage three cancer. I had a bunch of little kids at home. I really thought that I might die. And at the beginning, a lot of people were praying for me. I was praying. People were praying with me, for me. And I didn't die, obviously. But what changed through this was that the Lord shared with me that he was enough, no matter what happened, whether I were to die or not die, whether I had friends that died, which I did during my cancer journey. No matter what I did, he was enough. He was enough for me. He would answer those prayers in the way that he wanted them to answer, whether I understood it or not. 
and he would affect change for his glory, and that's still how I feel. I don't know whether I expect anything to happen as far as the circumstances I'm praying for, but I know that he will make changes happen somehow, somewhere, for his purposes. I say that a lot of my prayers have to do with just letting what's messy inside of me come out to the Lord, so I'm not pretending anything. It's really about teaching me how to walk through life as a mess and still somehow be used for him. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you, I am moved by that story I was <clears throat> mentioning to Courtney this past week. I was moved by it. To have a mother stage three cancer with little children. I was moved. I, I still have a 10-year-old in the house. I don't even want to imagine. For her to wrestle, for her to contend with God, for others to contend on behalf of her, and to see that the beauty of it is that God doesn't change in the wrestling. God's not intimidated by it. We need to wrestle. Her perspective was changed. You know what she said there? She goes... God said to him, to her, it's sufficient. This is, you are sufficient enough. I don't need anything else in life. You know, when I was in Bible college 30 years ago, there was a gentleman from Africa, and I was just intrigued. I just got saved about a year before, and I was intrigued to meet someone from Africa. I never met someone from Africa before. And as I was talking to him, wonderful man of God, he said to, I said, how many children do you have? He was a little bit older. He said, um, I have six. I said, is your wife here or is your wife in Africa? He goes, my wife is gone to be with the Lord. The birth of our sixth child, she passed away. I stood there and I said, wow. I started cheering up and I said, are you struggling with God? He goes, I have had my moments. I said, have you asked God why? He goes, I did, Bruno. And I said, did you get a response from God? He goes, yeah. He said, I am that I am. God owes no response. He gave him his name. I get goosebumps thinking God doesn't owe us anything. But he wrestled. What he found out was that God is who he says he is. God doesn't change in the wrestling. God remains immutable forever and ever the same. And see, the beauty of this is that we have to understand when is it that we're going to realize that God needs to change us. He doesn't want to change the situation more than he wants to change you and I. He wants to change our character. He wants to change our life. He wants to change our perspective. See, I believe it because he gets the glory. He truly gets the glory in all of it. But we're never going to get to that place unless we understand that God is here to change us for his purpose and for his glory. You know, in Genesis chapter 33, look what life happened with Jacob. In verse 4 specifically, he was concerned, thought maybe Esau would come after him and kill his family. But look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. The beauty, look in verse 5. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children from whom God has graciously given your servant. He's submitting. He's the youngest brother. Then the servants drew near, and then all the children bowed down. 
and it was proper to do so. Leah, likewise, and all their children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph, Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. You know what happened? He tried to find favor in the sight of God before by taking care of it himself. But you know what? God said, I don't want, I'll change the situation, but before I change the situation, I want to change you. He changed Jacob, and then he changed the situation. You know, as we go and uh, transition into communion, we have to ask that question too. What was Jesus willing to do? He was willing to die. He did. And when he died, he had a wrestling moment with the Father. When we think of Gethsemane, that was a wrestling moment. I want to read that wrestling moment with you because it, it always intrigues me of what Jesus did. In Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here where I go over and there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Je Je Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Almost to the point of death, it even says in the Greek. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going on a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He wanted it to pass. He didn't want to deal with it. In his flesh, he was, he was battling. But then he goes on. And again, he says in verse 42, and the second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink of it, your will be done. See, God doesn't want anything to pass in our lives. He wants us to contend with him because he wants to change us. Jesus was contending for you and I. He was contending because he had to go to the cross for sin. And the beauty of God is that because we're sinners, now we have a Savior who saves us. And the beauty of communion is being reminded that Jesus was willing to do it for you and I. He was broken. He was mangled. His insides were ripped. Crown on his head, shoved in his head. Nails on his sides and his hands. Brutally beaten and murdered for the sake of you and I. For sin. To appease the Father's wrath against sin so they could continue in the relationship of just the beauty of intimacy, but the beauty of God offering it to mankind and the joy of knowing we can have that today. Today, we celebrate communion because we're his children. But if you don't know and you haven't trusted in Christ, let this time pass. Just sit, stay seated where you're at. And just um, ask God if you have any questions, feel free to come to me or Pastor Dennis who's here. We'd love to share with you what it means to come to faith in Jesus. But if you are a believer and you've trusted in Christ, I, join, I welcome you to join. Take the elements, sit back, and return to your chair and ask God what he's trying to talk to you about so you can wrestle with. Where in your life that God needs to change you and your character? So let me pray, and then as I do so, you're welcome to come forward and take the elements, and then we'll take it together afterwards. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us the importance of communion. <clears throat> thank you for offering your son for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the fact that Jesus was willing to contend to go to the cross. Although he was contending, we knew that he was going anyway.
but the beautiful model that Jesus is and always continues to be is reminding us of him being a servant, willing to die for sin. Thank you for your son. And thank you that even though he was brutally murdered, thrown on a cross, nailed to a cross, and shed his blood for mankind and redeems us the forgiveness of sin, God, I pray that today we will in our hearts contend with you, confess our sin, and ask you to work in us and be thankful for the blood that was shed on our behalf. Let this communion time be celebratory too in our hearts, to be reminded, but to celebrate you and your son and for the spirit of God that lives in us today. God, we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus and thank you for what was done. May we receive this time as a great time of reflection on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are invited to come up. Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound. And drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The ancient seal by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all
Matthew 26, 26, encounter of the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus, it says this, Matthew wrote, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, as he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit until the vine of the vine, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's do that together. Father, we are thankful to you for your son. We are thankful for reminding us of your blessing today. We are thankful that you remind us too that we must wrestle. We want your very best. We want your blessing. And we thank you that you're willing to chasten us, change us, conform us to the image of Jesus, never giving up on us, always saying you'll be there with us. Pray that you would encourage us this week to be reminded of your great love for us to contend with you in prayer, to contend in our lives with you so that we can bring honor and glory to you, be changed, have a new perspective, have a changed character so we can make a difference in the lives of our people here in church and also in all the world. We love you. We surrender our lives. Dismiss us with your grace and your mercy as you gave to Jacob himself. And may you continue to give us that grace that we desperately need through your son Jesus we pray in Christ's name, amen and amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great week.